Kura, welcome. Well, I'm going to uh, follow on from and, and close off the series that um, Jesse started on character, which has been fantastic. And if those, of, if some of you haven't heard what Jesse shared about all of that, let me encourage you to listen online and um, just just pick it up. But I want to start by saying that as Christians, we have a very different call to character than the world does. And often it is said, which of course is true, that we need to do things better than the world does. Now, I don't mind that. Biblically, actually, it's not exactly correct. We're meant to do things very different. And everything about us is meant to be very different. And the call to character for us as born-again believers comes as a result of the fact that our character must be modelled on Christ. Not our own perceptions or our own heroes, however wonderful they may be. We have to model our character on Christ. That doesn't just make us better. There's many wonderful people out there who don't know Jesus, who have model characters. Doesn't just make us better, it makes us different. Because developing the character of Christ in our own life is a most important task because the scriptures teach it is the only thing that we will take with us into the next life. And the emphasis on the scripture over and over again on us being transformed to be more Christ-like on this earth and we don't know all the ramifications of it. We only know some. But there is an emphasis at saying so much of what we produce here is going to go through and shape our life in the next world, in Christ. And that's why it is important. Instead of thinking, well, I don't have to bother in this life. I know Jesus. It'll all happen in the next life. The scriptures are giving us a warning that we must be in the process of transformation in this life, and that is important for our all of eternity. And we're going to pick up a number of things. Often I get told that um, I place too much emphasis on reading and studying the Word of God, and it makes some people feel condemned. Well, I just want to say to you, it is better to feel condemned and do it than be disappointed at the end of our life than we haven't done it. That's important. How many of you, you don't have to put up your hands, but how many of you are annoyed with your parents because you started playing a musical instrument when you were 8 or 10 or 12 and you decided to quit and your parents didn't make you keep going? Now, at the time, you would have rebelled and sulked and put on a patty and done everything like that. The problem is when we get to be 20 or 30 or 40, we hear somebody our age who did stay playing the musical instrument play say, I want to play just like that. So we're disappointed we didn't stay in the discipline which would have produced the fruits which we could carry with us for the rest of our life. Staying in the discipline of reading the Word of God is the same thing. See, when God made the decision on how to reveal himself to us, he decided he would do it not through an idol or a graven image or a picture or anything. He decided he would do it through the word of God. That was his decision. 
I know a man who's one of my heroes. I won't mention his name. You all would know him, but he was illiterate almost for most of his life. And he became a Christian and he went to reading lessons when he was in his 30s where most of the people at the reading lessons were young children, primary school age, because he said, I hate reading, but now that I'm a Christian, there is one book that I know I must read. I must read the Bible. So he went to reading lessons to learn enough literacy so he could read the Bible. Now, of course, the rest of the story is he found out that through reading the Bible, his readings developed and his whole life developed. So we're not going to make apologies for that. Amen. God set this thing up, not for us to make a choice, but us to conform with his ways. All right. So if we're going to be true disciples of Christ, we must embrace the principle that being in the kingdom of God comes before doing. This is so important. God is more interested in who we are than in what we do. Very early in my Christian walk, my lifelong mentor, Dennis Peacock, said to me, we were sitting on a plane together, he said, do you realize that character never takes a holiday? It is never right to get a little drunk. It is never right to watch things we shouldn't be watching. It is never right to be rude to people. We can't say, I've had a tough year. I'm just going to hit the bottle and free up a bit and do whatever. It is never right because Jesus calls us to the point that our character is all we are ultimately carrying in him. I like Martin Luther's advice. Don't do anything you can't ask God to bless. I really like that. I check myself before I go to movies, before I watch things, before I do things. Can I ask God to bless this? And if the answer is no, I should be saying, all right, then, well, I won't do it. Now, that happens if you're out on the rugby field. It happens if you're playing chess. It happens with whatever we are doing. Can we ask God to bless what we're doing? It's often said that character is what defines us. Now, although there is some truth in this, what does define us in life is what or who we worship. Because everybody worships something or someone. And as as Christians, our claim should be that God defines us. And this means our character is drawn from who he is. And if it's not, we will draw our character from someone or something else because, as I've said, everybody worships and serves someone or something. If we worship money, our character will be dictated by how much money we will gain in any given situation, which means it's very likely that we are prepared to compromise our character if there is enough money in it, if there is enough gain in it. Many of you would have had experience in life where somebody um, somebody was prepared to compromise their character at your expense and to your disadvantage for their own gain. 
And it makes us furious when we see that because the saying in the world says this, everyone has a price. Everyone will only go so far on their character and then they will compromise. And that was Satan's whole premise when he started tempting Jesus. And he thought, okay, everybody compromises somewhere. I will offer him all these things and sooner or later he'll compromise on one of them. And then I, that's Satan, then I win. But you see, Jesus did exactly the opposite. He stuck with the nature and character of God and it was impenetrable from the temptations the enemy would put in front of him. Same for you, same for me. It's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit lives within us and empowers us. See, your character is what people see in you or experience from you. And it is what people will say, maybe not at your funeral, but it is what people will say after you've passed away. When they have an honest talk about you. It comes from within, and it's reflected in our quality of thoughts, our quality of speech, our decisions we make, our behavior, our relationships, and our general performance in the world. Now, I want to give you something, and for those of you that take notes, here's an important principle. Character determines our behavior, and behavior demonstrates our character. Character determines our behavior. What you do or don't do comes from your character, and your behavior demonstrates how, in this context, Christ-like your character really is. So let me ask you this question. How many people do you really admire and say, wow, that person is full of integrity? What a depth of character he or she has. How many people can you say, that person has never let me down? Now, I, as most of you know, travel constantly And I travel frequently with Dennis Peacock. And him and I have been all over the world in all sorts of situations. We've been tired, we've been frustrated, we've had issues and problems and wonderful times and fun as well. I have never seen him compromise his character. Never once. And it's amazing to have somebody we can say that about. One of the things I'm looking forward to when I meet Billy Graham... And what a wonderful man and what a wonderful investment of life Billy Graham is. But to me, that's not the issue. Most of I'm going to say, Billy, thank you so much that you never made me embarrassed to be a Christian. You held the standard your whole life. Do you know he got investigated by reporters and people and they investigated his finances because the income was in millions and they thought we will get him here sooner or later. They went through everything. They couldn't find anything. And when they went to publish all this, they decided not to because he was living in a modest three-bedroom home and the world out there against him didn't want to draw attention to that fact that this man had handled millions and millions of dollars and was leading a very modest life. Now, I'm not saying we've all got to just live in a three-bedroom home or whatever. That is not the issue, and it's not the point. 
The issue is that never once in his 90 years were any of us embarrassed in our faith because of his role, his leadership, and his publicity. That's the things we need to applaud. Honestly, it really is. Gifts are valuable and important, but they are not a measure of character or integrity. They are given without repentance. All of us here have been amazed to find out that somebody has been in the middle of a very anointed ministry at the same time they were in sin. It's shattering. I don't know why it's like that. I don't know why God does that. Eventually, he does blow the whistle on it. But it's not gifts which reveal what our integrity of character is. In Matthew 12, 33 to 35, Jesus says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to the Pharisees. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So Jesus is making it clear what goes in eventually comes out. Put good things in and good things will come out. So how do we do this? And this gets into the heart of what I'm sharing today. We first need to understand that our character is influenced and developed, and it's an ongoing work and development, by the way, for better or for worse. It's an ongoing work. It's influenced and developed by our choices. And these choices are the result of what we are feeding ourselves on. And there is no plan B. That's it. That's the way we're wired. That's the way we're designed. Transformation or being conformed to the image of Christ comes primarily from what we feed ourselves. If we are mostly feeding on the world system, our actions in life and our character in life will reflect that. And if we are constantly in worship and in good fellowship and feeding on and living out of the word of God, this will also become obvious in our life. Brothers and sisters, there is no exception to this rule. This is how it works. By God's design. We must not take this lightly because God doesn't. Paul told Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. What is Paul saying? Timothy, discipline yourself. Get into training. Get into harness. If you want to produce godliness, you're going to have to live a disciplined life. See, character is developed through a process involving discipline, involving hard work, and going through trials and tribulations, and learning how to refresh ourselves in God as we do, which is so important. So I want to share four points that hopefully will be helpful to you in this whole um, process or journey. And the first one is this, honor God. It's not enough to believe in God. James says even the demons do that. The question is, does Jesus have first place in our lives? Are 
our lives defined by him and his kingdom. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, do we really have the fear or the uh, reverence is a better word um, of God, for God is what we should have. We are shielded by so much from him because we are in Christ. But he is not a nice guy, easy pushover who couldn't really care less. He is a consuming fire. He loves his people. He hates sin. I love the story. It comes out of Samuel about Hannah. It's in 1 Samuel 2. And it says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, and let me push pause. Does your heart really exalt in the Lord? When you come in here and hear the musicians and the worship team, does something lift up in your heart and just draw you into God? Sometimes that takes discipline. You can do it when you don't feel like it. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, offer a sacrifice of praise. Do it even when you don't feel like it. It'll do something within you that is edifying and uplifting. So Hannah said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, which means strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Aren't we so grateful for that? Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. See, as true believers, we need to desire and inspire and work hard to live like this. God wants us to live like this. He paid a huge price for it. We've just spent time celebrating our Easter And it wasn't just about the death of Christ, it was also about the resurrection, the new life that is brought to us that we're empowered to live. So it's important that we honour God, we worship Him, we give Him what He is due in every aspect of our life. Second point, keeping our horns full with oil. Horns in the Old Testament is a term for strength, well-being, uplifting. And In 1 Samuel 16, it's an amazing story. Samuel is really disappointed about what's happened with Saul. And he's he's, um, fallen from grace uh, back into sin and all sorts of things are happening. And God basically comes along to Samuel and said, Samuel, why are you, you so upset? And Samuel talks about, well, I'm really upset what's happening with Saul. And the Lord says to Samuel, you have to fill your horn with oil. You have to learn when you face upsets and disappointments in life how to strengthen yourself in me. You have to learn how to engage my Holy Spirit. 
he said to Samuel, I have someone else I want you to go and anoint. And Samuel's saying, I can't do that. Those people will kill me. And God is saying, Samuel, you have to learn what it is to fill your horn with my oil and go and do what I do, even if that does cost you your life. And he does, and you know the rest of the story, the great King David was raised up and anointed and going on. But even if it's going to cost us our life, if it's going to cost us our money and fame and fortune and whatever else, we need to learn how to plug into the will of God and draw our strength from him and face life and walk in victory in Christ. Huge price has been paid, brothers and sisters, to empower us to do that. Everybody who knows Jesus is capable of it. The scriptures teach that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. So when our minds are continually on pleasure and the things of this world, we are not tuned into the Father. We miss what he is saying and we miss what he has for us in our life. So we need to learn how to constantly go back to him and receive refreshing and strength and revisioning or resetting. We need to learn how to do that. If we're going to stand strong in our integrity of character, we need to constantly have the conviction that we are being directed to God and that we must train ourselves to stand before him, to come before his throne and stay there long enough to hear from him. That is important. And this has got to be an ongoing process. What you got from him yesterday may well not be sufficient to get you through today. We need to constantly go back to the Lord to be recommissioned and re-empowered for what he would have us do. Third point, use it or lose it. It's a bit like keeping fit. You can only maintain it by constantly working out. Last month's fitness won't get you through this month's cross-country. See, what we have to learn is how to go before God personally, receive what he has for us, fill our horn with his oil, with his anointing, and then embrace our calling in life, whatever it is that he's got for us. God doesn't just zap holiness into us. Now, I've had zaps from the Holy Spirit. It's great. But you wake up the next day and you're still having to face the reality of life and having to draw deep from him and just being zapped won't do it. When I, was, <clears throat> when I was here in one of these meetings in 1982, and some of you know the story, a prophet called me to stand up. He didn't know me. And he said, I'm going to get you to take the message of the kingdom out to the nations. And he said to me, but you are to prepare yourself for that now. The first time it happened was 10 years later. I spent 10 years in the word of God and I realized when I got on the road and it quickly came to six months of the year, I realized I couldn't get it all every day at that point. I was drawing back on those 10 years constantly and I still am. 
It's so important that we do know what the instant empowering of the Holy Spirit is, but we also have a depth of the wisdom and the Word of God and the ways of God built inside of us to sustain our character in every situation of life that we are confronted with. Fourth point, power and purity. Jesse did a marvelous job talking about Samson. What a great story, actually. It's a terrible story. But if I had my way, I would have every leader that ever comes in the body of Christ study Samson's life. It's such a story of power and purity. See, Samson had great power and great anointing, but no purity. So despite being anointed and empowered, he did little to glorify God or to further the cause of the kingdom. In fact, he actually damaged it greatly. So what does the story of Samson teach us? And if you really get into this, go make sure you hear Jesse's message on it. You'll find a lot of it in the chapters 13 to 16 in Judges. But the key issue is this. Power without purity does not produce the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Power without purity does not produce the kingdom of God. And if you want the example of that, it's written all over Samson, everywhere. Phenomenal power. We often think of him as this great, big, muscly guy. He wasn't at all. Uh, if he was, nobody would say to him, where does all your strength come from? I assume he was quite small and puny. Phenomenal power moving through this man, given by God and used for such destruction. Terrible. Power, does not, power without purity does not produce the kingdom of God. And so Samson not only failed personally, but as a leader, he polluted the whole nation with his actions. See, we have to marry power and anointing with character and obedience if we're going to be fruitful to God over the duration of our life. We really do. And that's so important. Jesus also shared how our ability to determine what is right in our own, sorry, let me start that again, although Jesus did share that. Jesse shared with us how our, under, under the anointed of the Holy Spirit, I want to add that, it was amazing, Jesse, amazing teaching. Jesse shared how our ability to determine what is right in our own eyes is not good enough, it won't get us there. That message comes through everything Jesse shared. What we can do in our own strength won't get us there. The Word of God is paramount in forming our character. If we neglect it, and we, we will not have a redeemed character, we will default to the ways of the world, and Paul warns us that we must not conform to this world. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds And this, brothers and sisters, is a daily task. I like this um, statement I read out of a, a book I was reading. 
We develop character by controlling our thoughts, practicing Christian virtues, guarding our hearts, and keeping good company. Men and women of character will set a good example for others to follow, and their godly reputation will be evident to all. I really like that. So my time is up. I want to finish by reading a great passage of Scripture on character. And if you have nothing to meditate on right now, if there's nothing you're particularly reading, uh, pick up this and for a week or a couple of weeks, just meditate on it and allow the Spirit of God to build this into your heart. It's out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, and it says this. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, note that, guys, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the issue of character, it's ongoing. It's never going to go away. Pick up the messages that we've brought to you digest them, get into the scriptures, but mostly be prepared to have your character tested and be confident that God has invested in you the power to overcome any temptation that's brought against you.